it breaks my heart that George Clooney isn't Greek. <laughs> I'm convinced that every Greek person believes that George Clooney is Greek and it's a conspiracy theory that he's not. I mean, he looks so Greek and his name is George. It's one of the Greekest names you can have after Alexi Toliopoulos, I would say. <laughs> that is the Greekest name anyone's ever had. Hello, I'm Susie Youssef. And I'm Alexi Toliopoulos. Welcome to the Big Film Buffet. This is the film podcast for non-film nerds. But it's also the kind of podcast that's going to make you sound way smarter when you talk about films, whether you've seen them or not. And that's because, let me tell you this, babies, I freaking love movies. It's true. Each episode, we'll be sharing with you a three-course feast of films inspired by the Netflix premiere flick of the week. We fire up our engines with a classic cinematic starter. And then we take off into the unknown and rocket towards our main course, the Midnight Sky. And as always, we'll finish with a protein bar-like dessert that may contain a secret ingredient. You're making that sound way more sinister than it is. It's just a recommendation of another film that you may enjoy. Well, I was trying to reference the movie Soylent Green, which is a classic dystopian picture starring Charlton Heston, where Soylent Green is the only food that they can eat. Oh, and see. slowly we find out that Soylent Green is actually... Okay. So we're looking at dystopian futures on the podcast today. Kind of speculative versions of life beyond Earth mm. or visions of a world that we once called home but now we can barely recognise. <laughs> Movies, perhaps, where there's a cataclysmic event or a slow shift into darkness and humanity is forsaken. So it's pretty fun stuff. Just super light doesn't <laughs> hurt your brain at all. Well, Susie, you're going to go bananas when you find out what our starter for the day is. We're going to 1968 with Planet of the Apes. Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! When astronaut George Taylor crashes on an unknown world, he is captured by its ape rulers and shocked to discover that it is in fact humans that inhabit the wild and are domesticated as pets. But all is not as it seems on the planet of the apes. Alexi Toliopoulos, you love this movie. Straight up, this is an all-time favourite for me. I love the Planet of the Apes franchise. I think in my heart, deep, deep down, bubbling to the top, I prefer Planet of the Apes to Star Wars. Wow, be cool. God, i got to go on the record Where to say this. Where is that button? I need to press one of these big red buttons. Or I need a phone or something. Need we need call. the air horns. The air horns should be going off right now. But I love Planet of the Apes. I've got two Planet of the Apes posters hanging up in my study because I just think it's so weird and so cool. And I have this love of, like, ape creatures and stuff. I think they're cool and scary and they frighten me. Do you think that this film has shaped you as a film lover? As a film lover and an ape lover as well. <laughs> Whereas I came to this from a different angle. So mm-hmm. I kind of knew the characters from the Simpsons musical version of it first. <laughs> Dr. Zaius, Dr. Zaius. <laughs> oh, Dr. Zaius. <laughs> and I also knew Dr. Zaius because Winona Ryder breaks the little Dr. Zaius mm. figurine in Reality Bites. Mm, that's one of those moments that broke my nerd heart very early on in life. <laughs> <laughs> but I only watched it for the first time like much later in life. And so I knew all of those references. I went away with a bunch of friends who had seen Napoleon Dynamite and quoted it <laughs> nonstop and I'd never seen the film. And then when I saw it, I was like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a perfect reaction to that. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Were you shocked when you watched Planet of the Apes for the first time that 
approximately one third of it is a courtroom drama with apes. <laughs> it's totally a courtroom drama. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it is more a courtroom drama than it is an action film. Because mm-hmm. the Mark Wahlberg version, which was 2001, that was an action film. Yeah. This is not an action film. It is, and I'll say for the record, <laughs> definitely a courtroom drama. <laughs> we should have paired it up with The Trial of Chicago we 7 totally we did that. We could have done that. We could have reviewed them together. It would have been perfect. You brought up that 2001 remake version. I remember seeing it in the cinema with my mum because we liked Planet of the Apes. And Mark Wahlberg? And I don't think I even knew who Mark Wahlberg was. I think I thought he was Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) And we went to go see Planet of the Apes. It's one of the only movies I've ever walked out of in my life. And every three years or so, I come back to it thinking... I'm going to love this. It's going to be a hidden masterpiece that we don't know about because those costumes and the makeup is so fantastic and it's in Tim Burton films. It's got incredible production design. And literally every time I've watched it, I'm like, this is a huge dog. This is bad. (laughs) This is bile. This is one of the worst (laughs) movies I've ever seen. Every year I go in, it's going to be the one. I'm going to love this movie this time. Alexi, you know that it's not going to change. (laughs) No. Like, you know that it doesn't matter matter what meal you've eaten beforehand. (laughs) doesn't matter what clothes you're wearing, it's going to be the same celluloid every time. (laughs) I think I'm hoping that I've changed, that I've come to it and I've awoken to the movie. I hope you never change. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. This really is that classic ultimate science fiction film that really asks those big speculative questions that sci-fi often does. And this time it is, what if there were a planet of the apes? I think it's pretty amazing to think back to the origins of this film mm. and to see how amazing the kind of makeup and design was mm. for the era. Like, it's 1968. Oh, you're so right, because these costumes are so complex and so interesting. They took so long to apply this amazing groundbreaking makeup, so the actors had to be kept in it all day long. So you feel them becoming the apes, I guess, if they're just walking around dressed like that. And so much so that at the premiere of the film, Kim Hunter, who plays the amazing Dr. Zero in this film, asked Charlton Heston how he'd been going, what he'd been up to, and he had no idea who he was talking to. Because he just never saw her outside of the costume before. And he freaking kisses her in the movie. They kiss in the movie. Mm. Yeah, there was like a really beautiful moment. Kind of strange, but also <laughs> kind of beautiful moment. That is my worst nightmare. <laughs> that someone, you've kissed someone and they have no idea who yeah, you were? Yeah, someone not remembering that that kiss me is genuinely one of my greatest fears. Well, like an unmemorable kiss. Like a bad kiss, fine. A good kiss, obviously better. <laughs> but an unmemorable kiss, no, I know, you. and That's he kissed her dress as a monkey and he didn't remember her. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. I also heard that because they had to stay in their costumes for so long Mm. and it's just human nature, they kind of gravitated towards their species. So the chimps would sit with the chimps (gasps) and the kind of apes would sit with the apes and the humans would sit away because it's just human nature to do that, which is bizarre. That's so cool. I mean, you can feel that authenticity in the movie, but I love that this movie has like a making of that's like high school. It's like Mean Girls. (laughs) Mean Girls of the 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 ape world. (laughs) Planet of the Mean Girls. (laughs) Susie, can I tell you one of my all-time favourite fun facts when it comes to film. I could not stop you if I tried. Okay, you cannot. Uh, <laughs> you could never stop me on this one, in fact. In this film, Charlton Heston is the lead. Yes. We know that. Now, here's the stuff that you may not know. In Greek, the language that I grew up speaking, Heston or Heston means to shit oneself or more <laughs> accurately, shit on him. So in Greece, Charlton Heston's name on the Planet of the Apes poster is written as Charlton Easton. 
So that nobody misinterpreted. <laughs> so nobody would, like, muck around on his name. He wouldn't get teased by a whole <laughs> country of people. So Greeks, they just know him as Charlton Easton until one day they found out. And let me tell you, it was one of the most fun days that country ever had. <laughs> they, they announced it was a Greek holiday. <laughs> and they took a day off work and they took a new pair of pants. <laughs> At the beginning of the film, we're in a spaceship, mm-hmm. which a lot of these kind of post-apocalyptic movies were in a spaceship, of yeah. course we are. But it doesn't stay in the spaceship very long, which I kind of love. Like it, The aesthetic of this film mm. is unlike modern post-apocalyptic films because it's this barren desert mm. vibe instead. Instead of something being overgrown or something freezing over, yeah, yeah, it's like what we thought the world could be like if it once again became ancient or something. Yes. And I love that crash landing at the start of the film. It's one of my favourite things because it is so weird. It's like yes. 68. They don't know how to do a crash landing. They can't do it with miniatures. It look too weird. No. Especially because this movie is trying to take things a little bit seriously. Uh, so they can't do CGI because computers don't really exist yet. And they just have to kind of invent what a crash landing should feel like. So it's like these weird cacophony of shots of just a helicopter zooming across the desert that they flip around and stretch out and just gives you that really sick otherworldly feeling of some psychedelic interpretation of a crash landing. I think it's just so cool. It's so cool until we see the very first female character in the film age (laughs) immediately. (laughs) She's like 10,000 years old. It looks hideous. (laughs) And all Charlton Heston does is grow a beard that makes him look more handsome. Yeah, he looks much better with the beard. Much, much better. In the first 20 minutes of this film, they crash onto a planet that they have not been on, or have they? (laughs) And then they immediately get naked. And they go for a freaking swim. They go for a swim. And it always makes me think, when you watch these post-apocalyptic movies, Mm. I always wonder what (gasps) I would do. Do you ever do that where you're like, who would I be? Like, would I be the scientist who's brave Mm. enough to get on the spaceship? Or would I be like, I don't, would I just want to like hide away in a bunker on Earth? Yeah. I would never, there's no chance in any world or time that I'm getting off a spaceship and getting naked Mm. and going skinny dipping. It could be acid. That's exactly what my thought was. And you're like, hang on a second, this is a real trip. (laughs) (laughs) get their gear up and, yeah. and, and they've also got these cool backpacks with all mm-hmm. the stuff they could possibly need. Yep. They just discard it to one side Chuck and go out. swimming. And they're probably going to eat some berries. I think I I'm do... Not, I'm not eating the berries and I'm not going swimming naked. They're two <laughs> things I definitely know I'm not doing after the world ends. And I think this would be my ideal apocalypse would okay. be an ideal dystopian future. I feel, you know, my heritage has led me to be quite a hairy person. <laughs> I feel like I could blend in with the apes. That is like, this is the most handsome ape and I might thrive there. Well, I think that considering my background, I could also compete for that. <laughs> you and I are the prom king and queen of the planet of the apes. One thing that I found really interesting was the score of this film. Mm. And I think going back through films of the 60s, it's really interesting to hear how they use music because it's changed so much Mm. over time. Especially something like this, they're experimenting with it, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Soundtracks and film composing is such a massive part of cinema now, but at one point watching this, I was just picturing the composer just throwing instruments around the foley room. Like it just, it's really chaotic. It's really unnerving. It definitely works. But do you think it was on purpose that it's like this? Absolutely. I think they were really experimenting with this. It's a very percussive score by Jerry Goldsmith. It's very evocative. It's very primal. It's intimidating. I think it captures exactly what you're talking about. And there is even, in fact, a rumour that Jerry Goldsmith wrote and composed this score while wearing a gorilla mask to get in touch with his inner ape. So he very might as well have been throwing stuff around the room, <laughs> including his own hestons. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Suzy, it's time for us to escape from the Planet of the Apes and travel all the way to the Planet of the Mates. You did it. Yes, George Clooney hang out with a mute girl for a full two hours. It's time for the Midnight Sky. Come in, Ether. This is Barbo Observatory. Are you receiving this? Is anyone out there? So this movie is a version of Earth after some sort of apocalyptic, probably climate change issue. Mm. And there is a lone scientist who is living in this kind of Arctic landscape. This bunker. This bunker. He's bunkering down and he's trying to contact a crew that has been sent out to find life on another planet Mm. or moon. And they have actually succeeded in doing that and they're on their way back to Earth. But he's warning them not to because it is no longer an option to live here. Yeah, Earth sucks, dude. (laughs) Stay on Jupiter's moon. (laughs) The Midnight Sky is directed by George Clooney. It stars George Clooney. All hail to George. It also stars Felicity Jones, David Oyelowo, Tiffany Boone, with Demian Bashir, Kyle Chandler, introducing Keelan Springall. I have to warn them about the conditions on Earth before it's too late. I was very much anticipating this movie because it's George Clooney's first acting role since 2016. I felt like it had been ages since we've seen him. Where have you been, George? He's raising twins. Yeah, he's raising kids. Amal and George, they're living their own life now. I mean, he's saving the world, raising kids and drinking coffee at the same time. He's living large. It's the Nespresso lifestyle, baby. (laughs) I find George Clooney really interesting as a director because you really do... Get an idea of what his taste is. I totally agree. It really does feel like a continuation of the films he chooses to star in as an actor, as a movie star as well. Some of his films feel like extensions of the universe of the filmmakers he works with very often, like the Coen brothers. And this feels like both his work with Alfonso Cuaron on Gravity and Steven Soderbergh's remake of Solaris. I also think that there's a point in a lot of actors' lives where they become fathers and space movies end (gasps) up becoming part of their repertoire. Yes, it's like the daddiest genre that there is. It's the daddiest genre. Because it's all about like rescuing and saving people, usually it's someone younger or like that, like saving the entire world. Yeah, and it's that whole idea of like, if the world is going to end, what have we all been here for? What's Mm. the point of any of this? And I feel like the idea of fatherhood, it comes up in almost every space movie I've ever seen in my life. This whole thing. And you watch this movie with your dad, right? I watched it with dad. We both love George Clooney Mm. very much. When I spoke to my dad about this afterwards, he was like, oh, George Clooney, he's you know, he's an all-time star, like Matt Mm. Damon who is his absolute favourite. So wow. if your he's up dad. there with Matt Damon, then George Clooney is a, is a star. I would love to sit down with your dad and watch the Oceans movies, to oh, see them was... on screen together. Yes, he, it was his favourite. <laughs> I also adore George Clooney as a movie star, as an actor. The thing that I love the most about him is that he's such a precise facial actor. Like He can make his face twitch in all these really interesting ways that feels like he just has complete control over it. I think the way George Clooney can carry a movie with this sense of walled-off grief Mm. is really second to none. I'm going to get really personal here, Susie. Oh, my goodness. It breaks my heart that George Clooney isn't Greek. (laughs) I'm convinced that every Greek person believes that George Clooney is Greek and it's a conspiracy theory that he's not. I mean, he looks so Greek and his name is George. It's one of the Greekest names you can have after Alexi Toliopoulos, I would say. (laughs) That is the Greekest name anyone's ever heard. I also read this review for this film that said he looks like a Greek fisherman in this film. Yeah, I'm buying seafood off that dude. (laughs) 
what Clooney does so well in this film if he just eschews all that movie starness in this role in a way that harkens back to his Oscar win for Syriana I think he really is the great modern movie star that knows how to use that movie star persona better than anyone he knows when to go for it like in Ocean's Eleven when to satirize it like burn off the reading for like comedic effect and when to shed it like he does here here he really is that sad lonely man who's trapped himself away in a lighthouse and might i also say i simply adore when his beard gets those icicles especially in the mustache area i just want to crack them and put my fingers through it see what it feels like i could not agree with you more i have to say of course throughout history people have wanted to kiss george clooney Mm -hmm. but i just want to kiss the icicles on his beard it's weird it's a thing that i might regret saying in the future (laughs) but i stand by it for now it's how i felt Alexi Toliopoulos, when you talk about George Clooney, your eyes change into heart-shaped emojis. I don't know if you know that. You should look in the mirror as you talk. The gorgeous silver fox heart emojis. <laughs> you love him so much. Did you know, though, that he's been numbed in six different Oscars categories? <gasps> really? I'm pretty sure that if I tested you, you would know this, but he shares a record with Walt Disney and one other creator that you would definitely know if you had oh. to guess... Is Alfonso Cuaron? Yes, of course yes. I knew that. But can you think of what all of those categories would be? Oh, okay. I reckon I can get there. I know that he's won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Syriana. Yes. So Best Supporting Actor, let's yep. lock that one in. We'll lock that one in, that's true. Best Actor. Yes. I don't know what movies they would be, but I'm guessing he's been nominated. Oh, The Descendants yes, and stuff. Yes, that's one of them. Yeah, Descendants. So he's best actually actor. been nominated three times for Best Actor. Oh. If you can get these, I will be so impressed because one of them I've never even heard of. The Descendants. Yep. I would also suggest Up in the Air. Yes. And the other one, I'm going to take a stab. Is it older or was it more recent? It's 2008. Michael Clayton. I've never even heard of that film. I saw that movie in the cinemas. Of course you did. Okay, so the other categories outside of acting, I remember watching those Oscars back in the day and seeing Good Night and Good Luck mm-hmm. get heaps of nominations. Warmer. And he basically did everything on that movie. So yep. I'm guessing he got a director's nomination for it. Ding, ding. I'm also going to guess that it got a screenplay nomination. For? I'm going to say Best Original Screenplay. Yes, correct. Because I remember his dad is like involved, like it's based on his dad's life or something like that. That's something weird. Set in space or something. Yeah, some space shit or whatever. <laughs> I think he's a producer as well, so I'm going to guess maybe not for that film, but another film he's nominated for Best Picture somewhere. Yes, do you know what the film is? He's not in it, is he? It's something weird. It's going to be a weird pick. It won. It won Best Picture. Yes, it wasn't just nominated. Argo. Yes, 2013. Well done. Argo, if I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) And then what else do I have left? One more. One more. I'm going to say another screenplay nomination. Yes. Best Adapted Screenplay. Perfect. I love you, Georgie Boy. So we talked about George Clooney a whole dang lot already, but he's not the only person in this film, even though he's this lonely guy on the planet. (laughs) There's a whole spaceship full of other actors. We've got Felicity Jones, who's up on the spaceship, pregnant. I think it's an exciting performance from her. I really like her as an actor. There's also Tiffany Boone, who plays Maya in the film, and I think she's kind of the emotional heart of this, not just because of the way that she performs, but the way that other actors kind of gravitate towards her performance. Mm. And Demi and Bashir is one of those beautiful performers who... Again, like he was saying before, really precise facial yes. actor who is so emotional. It just like doesn't have a massive part, but for me, he was one of the standouts. Absolutely. I agree with you on both of those two. I also really like David Oyelowo, oh, I love who plays him. the captain of the ship. I think he's such a great actor as well. And I like that we've got this interesting ensemble of actors. 
in like this almost kind of chamber piece on the spaceship. And also, this is the first time I ever saw Keelan Springle because it's her introduction to film. But she's beautiful. It's a really great performance from a young star who like kind of captures this cheekiness of this girl that's stuck with George Clooney who captures like the heart of it all. And I think that's why it's a dad flick. Totally. You spend a lot of the film with George Clooney kind of walking in his shoes Mm. in this really freezing, cold, lonely world. But there's a couple of really lovely moments where we're on the spaceship and they have this. I'm always interested in the spaceship technology Mm. that they choose to take with them. So like the memory technology that they have in this are these projected scenes from their life and they get to kind of sit with old family members and relive Ah. conversations. And again, another beautiful moment with Demi and Bashir where he's watching the character of Maya sit with her family and there's just so much love in that moment. For me, that was one of the highlights. I think it's the best scene in the movie, in my opinion. I love that moment. And I I love when we get to see the interesting designs of a spaceship. Yeah, I think totally. I like this one because, you know, we talked about this being like a bit of a chamber piece. It does have that like original Star Trek vibe mm. or even it reminded me of Black Mirror where there's that episode oh, yeah. that plays on Star Trek with Jesse Plemons and it also has like that retro futuristic feeling. That ultra-sleek design, but it's not quite the exact same. No, it does feel like an original design, and it also feels like a lived-in space. Mm. Like you believe that these people have been together in this space for a while. Yeah, I agree. I really like the way the spaceship looks. Yes, but something I did not find pleasing to the eye mm. is a very dramatic moment in the film where there is a... Um, an accident, if you will. An accident, if you will. Yes, an accident involving blood... In Zero Gravity, Mm. something I've actually (gasps) never seen. I can't think of another film where I've seen it. It's quite intense and really visceral and Mm. just disgusting in the best possible way. Yeah, it's creepy, right, seeing that CGI blood floating around. This is Ether. Does any one copy? We've lost contact with NASA and everyone else. One thing I found really interesting about this film is that it kind of resonated like it was this mix of sci-fi dystopian films that have come before it. Like it's elements of a doomed apocalyptic journey, like in The Road, there's a bit of a reluctant saviour thing going on, like in Children of Man. Oh, yes. And there's this huge cli-fi, which means climate fiction. Thank you for educating me. (laughs) Element like in The Day After Tomorrow. I think this is what getting older in movie geekdom feels like for me because all of these movies, I'm like, oh, these are all hip and current movies. But then looking back, I'm like, oh, these are like classics now that are old enough to be referenced in a movie like this. Yeah, I think that there's a huge audience for sci-fi dystopian films. I think this year is a weird year for it, though. Absolutely. Because we're kind of living in a bit of an apocalyptic time. It makes me think about all the different types of dystopian films that there are. Mm. It's not my favourite genre by any stretch. I do love a little bit sci-fi but dystopian films kind of make me anxious oh absolutely because i worry so much about what role i would play i brought this up with you before i'm so stressed out about you know how the world is going to end and you know will we go down in fire or will it be this kind (laughs) of icy landscape or will it be some other sort of sensory thing where like no one can hear anything or no one can see anything like like bird box yeah that sort of thing (laughs) like do you have a preferred dystopia um yes i would prefer gluttonous dystopia (laughs) i want full-on hedonism that's what i want (laughs) 
I think you're so right, Susie, because I see some people talking about these kind of movies and I'm guilty of it. I watched a few like apocalyptic dystopian type yeah. films earlier this year as well. I think right now we have like this sick fascination with it all. One that's kind of like almost fantasy going like, oh, what's it going to be like? Or like this curiosity about it. But I also think there's like a weird comfort to it all where you feel like at least things aren't as bad as they are for George Clooney here. Yeah. Or at least things aren't as bad as they are for crazy old Mad Max or something. I think there's like a reassurance that, you know, things are pretty tough right now, but they could be so much worse and they likely aren't going to be that bad this soon. And so that's why we watch these films. We're like, okay, I can watch this horrendous mm. like downfall of mankind because we're not quite there yet. Yes, but we are on the way. We're Rest on assured. The way. I don't know if you felt the same, but I really thought about Castaway when I was watching <gasps> mm. The Midnight Sky. I think there's a lot of parallels there. Um, and I really loved Castaway. Yeah. When you're watching these kind of movies where there is someone who's kind of lost or alone for long periods of time, there's not a lot of dialogue. I think it just depends on what your personal mood is when you watch it, whether you love it or hate it. Mm. When I first watched Castaway, I needed some space. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. I think Castaway is such an apt comparison, Susie, because it is about a lonely guy who grows an extremely big beard (laughs) who is also companioned with a person that cannot speak. In this, we've got the mute girl, Iris, and in Castaway, we've of course got Wilson. Oh, Wilson. One of my favourite movie stars of all time. I love that volleyball. (laughs) But I agree with you. I think that, you know, who will vibe with this movie are those general sci-fi fans. Yes. I think there's a lot to love here with George Clooney coming back to the screen. I think this is a really fabulous performance by him. So if you're a big George Clooney fan, if you're a Greek person or someone who's attracted to George Clooney, (laughs) you haven't seen him for a long time, you miss the guy. Yeah. So sit down, spend a couple of hours with George. Before the world ends, you might want to keep listening to a few podcasts. So why not follow The Big Film Buffet on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and send us a comment or an SOS if you're in space. We can't help but we certainly will try. You should rate us, review us, tell your friends, call your dad, call my dad. He'll answer. And then go back to the beginning and listen to all the eps and send us your thoughts and your love and subscribe so that you know when we'll be back next year. We have come to that most celebrated time in this podcast where we play a little game called Film or Movie. It's so celebrated that I brought a cake. We're all wearing hats. Mm -hmm. It's a really special time. We're having a beautiful time because not just us in the room right now, we're joined by our dearest and most beloved producer, Michael. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Whoa, that was a beautiful choice. I love that you sparkled in that moment and everyone is endeared to you now. <laughs> we are going to be playing a game called Film or Movie, which is when producer Michael joins us with the title of a motion picture that we must declare is either a film, which Susie is. It's cinematic uh, mastery. It is storytelling at its best. Mm-hmm. It is art. Or it could be a movie, which... Which I would say a movie is more popcorn. It's like the blockbusters of the world. It's something that's maybe a bit more commercial, but not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Watching a movie is one of my favourite things to do while I sit down. Well, producer Michael, what is the picture you're placing in front of us to duke it out over today? The title today is Classic Dystopian Flick. Mm. It is Armageddon. Oh, Armageddon, the side of movie on this one. Oh, 
an interesting choice, Alexi. Why is that? Well, because it's um, extremely silly. It's an extremely silly escapist movie. I don't know why you would say that. It's just a group of NASA astronauts who call on oil drillers mm-hmm. to save the world. Yes, that's actually the main reason I'm saying that. Okay. Ben Affleck himself on an audio commentary for this film said how ridiculous that was. And this is the actual quote. Asked Michael Bay why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers. And he told me to shut the fuck up. So that was the end of that talk. I think that this is a film. I think that at its core, much like the asteroid that is rocketing towards Earth, Mm -hmm. it is about uh, the speed at which we are heading towards our own (gasps) end. I think it's about blue-collar workers Mm. trying to find their purpose in this world, which is, like everyone's purpose, just to live and love and make something of themselves and try and help out the human race before they die. Okay, it's got an Aerosmith song in it. Uh, it doesn't have an Aerosmith song. It has the Aerosmith song. This wow. is the birth of I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I'm so glad I lived in the era where I didn't miss out on this song. I love this song more than anything. <laughs> I Actually, I think I'm kind of getting convinced by Susie because now I'm thinking about it, that Aerosmith song, that's like I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. And do you know who missed a thing in their entire life? Freaking Steven Tyler, the father of Liv Tyler. They didn't even know that they were related yes. until much later. She's in the movie. He's singing to her from beyond. Oh, my. I'm crying thinking about this now. Of course you are. This is a film. This is Liv Tyler. This is Ben Affleck, Steve Buscemi, Billy <gasps> Bob Thornton. Okay, and wow. And all hail to Bruce Willis. Yes, I love that fella. <laughs> I don't know. I could go either way. I mean, it is a Michael Bay flick. It is crazy. It is like that big blockbuster stuff. Fair enough. Michael Bay is known for his movies. He's Mm -hmm. a movie maker in many ways. But I think what he touched on with this was, you know, us looking at our existential (gasps) dilemma. Wow. Wow, Susie, I'm crying. (laughs) Michael, what do we reckon? Let me tell you. I have a confession. I've never even heard of this movie. (laughs) Michael, what year were you born? I was born one whole year before this title came out. I would have been one year old. This was in cinemas. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of this movie, but I will proclaim it is indeed a movie because every 90s title is a movie, QED, period, full stop. Wow, (laughs) wow, wow, wow. That's cool. Wow. Well, we love movie. We love movie. Congratulations, Michael Bay, Ben Affleck, and of course, Liv Tyler. You are movie stars. Well, it's time for us to chow down on the dessert of Soylent Cream. No, thank you. <laughs> so instead, we're talking about Snowpiercer. <laughs> and now, in front of our hallowed water supply section, no less, you repay his kindness with violent hooliganism. Precisely 74% of you shall die. Snowpiercer is a film about Earth's final inhabitants who are confined to a single train circling the globe as a revolution brews among the class-divided cars. I really like this movie. It's Bong Joon-ho. Probably goes without saying that Bong Joon-ho wrote and directed Parasite, which won Best Film, because it's one of my favourite films. And if you haven't seen Parasite because you're like, oh, I don't want to get on board that hype, hop on board (laughs) the Snowpiercer train and then take the Express to Parasite because it is such a freaking good movie. And this is his first English language film. I think this is one of the best modern dystopia films. It captures just the right amount of comic book campness that I love from a film that has a wackadoo far off vision of the future <laughs> while still having this kind of mucky, grimy, Orwellian vibe. And the cast is 
pitch perfect. We've got Ed Harris and John Hurt doing their thing as political leaders on either side of the political spectrum. And Tilda freaking Swinton. Terrifying Tilda Swinton. Terrifying Tilda Swinton going full comedic caricature. I think she works so fascinatingly well with Bong Joon-ho yes. in this film and also Okja. I... She, she's this comic relief character, or you think she'll be mm. this comic relief character, but there's no relief. So it's just yes. this kind of sinister comedy. It's such an unnerving performance. Every time she hits the screen, you're just like, oh, what are you going to do now? Oh, so beautifully put. And I want to ask you, Susie, because I know you love Chris Evans. I don't know why you're saying that. I'm just wearing a T-shirt with his face on it. <laughs> I think he's a great star, but this is my favourite performance of his. What do you think about him in this film? I think he's absolutely perfect. Mm. I think that there is a scene towards the end where you see a close-up of him just kind of processing what is happening and the enormity of what's mm. just happened, and I'm speechless. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah, I think he's so good in this film. If this chat has awoken uh, fascination with dystopian worlds for you, we've got a few extra recommendations. One of them is a bit of a discovery for me that I can't stop thinking about. It's a movie from 1988 called Miracle Mile. It is this weird genre mashup of romantic comedy and end of the world imminent apocalypse. Oh, two of my favourites. <laughs> I think you'd really like this. I probably would. It's an LA guy and a gal who meet each other and instantly soulmates, but then he picks up a phone and and it's a wrong number call that reveals World War Three has started and a nuclear missile is being fired off around the world. Uh, that old story. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's like this weird genre mix-up, but also it's got like a cast of like 1980s and 90s character acts that you'd be so familiar with. You're like, oh, they've seen that guy in Seinfeld yeah, yeah. and stuff. It's very weird. It's very funny. I've never seen another movie like it. And... I think it would make you so cool to watch this and just go, hey, check this out, this weird movie that I discovered. I'll let you claim it. Also, Solaris, the Steven Soderbergh remake starring George Clooney, huge influence on this film, and it's worth checking out. It's a lot better than you remember. And George loves space. So if you love George in space, you should watch Gravity with mm -hmm. Sandra Bullock, Take Your Tissues. And if you want something a little bit closer to home, then you can't go past the dystopian treasure that is Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, absolutely. So today on the menu, we gobbled up the Planet of the Apes. We filled our tum-tum with the midnight sky. And then we had a lovely dessert of Snowpiercer. Well, Alexi, if this is the end of the world, thank you for spending the last three months making podcasts with me. <laughs> it was my pleasure and I'd do it again in heaven where we will surely be. <laughs> If you want to hear more from me, in the meantime, you can head over to Total Reboot, the podcast where Cameron James, the comedian, and I talk about reboots, remakes in cinema. And if you want to hear more from Alexi and myself, then subscribe to this podcast and we'll be back next year with a whole lot more movies and a bunch of recommendations too. This episode and all episodes of The Big Film Buffet are written and hosted by Alexi Douglas-Toliopoulos and Susan Catherine Youssef. They are produced by Michael Sun and Anu Hasbold, edited by Jeffrey O'Connor and executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 